Hi everyone and welcome to Empathy Gaps, an online video podcast focused on creating a safe space to discuss mental health and psychology while also working to address the needs of the current mental health crisis. I'm Tiffany Zhang, your host, and today we have a very special guest, Anastasia Goodstein. She's a full-time member at Round, a member of the Industry Advisory Board, and a reviewer of the Headstream Innovation Acceleration Program. She was also the former Digital Senior Vice President at the Advertising Council, as well as the former Strategic Advisor at the Crisis Text Line. Thank you so much for being here today and taking the time to join me. Before we start, is there anything else that you want to add regarding to what you do and who you are? I think you got quite the list and thank you so much for thinking of me to bring onto your podcast. Yeah, no problem. So my first question, just to kind of set some background, would be like, what sparked your interest in mental health? So... I think the person who probably sparked my interest was my mom. Um, You know, she was always in the helping professions, whether that was, you know, social work or later becoming a counselor. And then I think, you know, I'm no stranger to therapy myself and actually, you know, first did therapy back in high school when I was a teenager and my parents were getting divorced. And I think um, oftentimes adults who end up working with young people or in the youth space are kind of informed by our own trauma or inspired by our own traumatic experiences, especially during that time. And so, you know, we go into it wanting to be there for young people in the way that we wish adults were there for us. As far as career, you know, the focus on young people in my career has really been a through line throughout my career. And I think it's just often intersected with, you know, mental health issues. Earlier in my career, I launched Y-Pulse, which was a youth culture newsletter and conference business where I would curate and comment on trend stories about teens and tweens and 20-somethings who are now millennials. And oftentimes the stories would, you know, touch on that intersection between youth and mental health, even back then, which was really the height of Web 2.0, right? So we had MySpace and then we had Facebook. And of course, people were talking about bullying and its impact on teen mental health and how much time teens were even spending on those platforms back then. Um, And then after, you know, I sold Ypulse, a person, a wonderful man named Jack Heath, who was the founder of Reach Out in Australia, which is one of the first youth mental health websites out there, recruited me to lead digital for the American version of the Reach Out site. And that's really where I think my passion for using media to empower young people really intersected with like a very intentional focus on mental health. And so, you know, after Reach Out, I moved from San Francisco to New York, and that's where, you know, I worked with the Crisis Text Line. It was before they had even launched. It was really bringing my experience from Reach Out and getting to know so many people in the youth mental health space and connecting the organization because it started, Crisis Text Line started out of Do Something. And so, you know, they needed to sort of get connected within the crisis and mental health space so that when they did launch, right, everybody was sort of connected to each other. And then, you know, I think even at the Ad Council, 
I was able to work on so many campaigns, again, where this intersection was alive, whether it was teen dating violence prevention or youth suicide prevention. Um, you know, I also worked on a campaign that was for parents of tweens who were struggling with mental health issues. <laughs> so the issue continues to be, you know, really interesting to me and something that I want to keep working on. Yeah, no, that I totally understand that part of why I did start Empathy Us was to the intersection of youth and mental health and just using media to empower young people. And in your response, you said that you worked on several mental health campaigns. So I guess, can you kind of tell me about those mental health campaigns that you did in the past and what you've kind of learned about campaigning for such a potentially like sensitive slash triggering topic for some people? Yeah, definitely. So I, I've worked on many, so I'm not, I'll, we'll be here for hours, but I will pick two of my favorites. And the first one was something that we did at Reach Out. And it's going to sound very non-digital because in a way it was, but when I was doing Y Pulse, I realized that some of my biggest fans and readers were young adult librarians. Um, they loved the blog. They want to stay on top of all the trends because it's really important to them to reach teens who, you know, they want to come into their libraries authentically. So, you know, we came up with this idea to um, basically use these librarians who were in libraries across the country. We were trying to get the word out about Reach Out in the United States at the time and get them to be our trusted messengers. And the way that we did this was asking them to pick the best books, that's what they do, right? They know all of the, the young adult fiction that's out there on the different mental health issues that we cover on the site. So, you know, at the time it was suicide, it was depression, it was eating disorders, self-harm even, and they, curated this wonderful list of books and what we did is we put them on a reach out branded bookmark and we printed thousands of them and we sent them to libraries across the country and we basically you know asked the librarians to give them away to put them out there and of course we had our website um, on the bookmark as well and so the idea was to use a trusted adult who teens felt comfortable with um, to get the, these great resources that they could get right there in the library. And then they could also check out the site in the library by getting online. And we kept getting more and more requests for bookmarks. And it just was a really fun campaign to, to come up with and to work on. The second one um, was sort of an offshoot of a campaign that we did at the Ad Council. It's still going, it's called Seize the Awkward. And, you know, the ultimate goal of that campaign is suicide prevention. It's, it's geared towards young adults, but you ne we never talk about suicide in the campaign. It's really about um, getting young adults to notice if a friend is struggling and basically giving them the tools to open up a conversation and just check in and make sure that their friend is doing okay. And if not, getting them to resources that could be helpful. So we wanted to, I wanted to bring this campaign to the video gaming community because it's massive and it's full of young people and young adults. Um, and it just felt like a great place to bring the message. And so we partnered with 
a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. <laughs> I forget what the acronym MMORPG. <laughs> it was called Guild Wars 2. And we were able to actually integrate Seize the Awkward, you know, the logo into a little virtual, you know, free t-shirt, right, for the game. So you had, you know, I don't know, like trolls and dragons, <laughs> different characters in the game wearing the t-shirt. And they did it during something that they called Friendship Week, which was an annual event for them. And so it really tied in well with the whole message of checking in on a friend. So we were able to also get that message to people in the game when they were, you know, getting their free virtual good. And then, you know, we extended it by doing an actual PSA that included some footage from the Friendship Week and interviews with gamers and people who work on Guild Wars about their own experiences, you know, either checking in on a friend or having a friend check in when they were struggling. And then to sort of round it out, we did a panel on these issues at PAX, which is a big video game convention in Boston. And, you know, even had an installation where people at PAX could go and share you know, when they help someone or someone helped them on this big wall um, on the convention floor. So it just was an example of really surrounding, you know, in a, a campaign with a game to reach that audience. Um, as far as, you know, what I learned, I would say, and you had mentioned like how sensitive these issues are, right? So I think when you're talking about some of the the harder issues where you're trying to get young people to talk about them or share them, whether it's on a website, right, or especially when it's on a website or in a community type forum. I think, you know, you always want to moderate <laughs> very heavily. You want to emphasize, I think, in any story that you put out there from someone who, you know, is or was struggling, how the person you know, got through it um, because you don't want to sort of have content where people are stuck in that pain and they feel hopeless and have no, you know, they haven't been able to get help. You want to sort of model for people that, you know, yes, it's something a lot of us deal with, but there are ways, right, um, to, to get help. So I think that heavy moderation is really, really important. Um, and also, you know, you don't want people giving very specific details, right? Even if they're talking about a time where they self-harmed or their eating disorder, you don't want them saying how they did it, how they restricted, you know, none of that, right? So if you are running, whether it's a campaign or a website where you have people sharing stories, that's definitely, you know, another thing. And then I think the other big learning is just about you know, authentic, trusted messengers, right? And I think those were two examples of the librarians being the trusted adults um, in those communities. And then, you know, I think with gaming, you, people, you, it's hard to go into the gaming world with a campaign that has nothing to do with gaming, right? I mean, you you can do it, but you'll get much further, right? If it's coming from people who know that world, people who are respected in that space, you know, a game that people love. So I think it's, you know, trusted messengers, 
authentic messengers and creative that really, you know, matches the community that you're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's some really great advice. I really agree with you on things you said, like don't give out too many details, obviously, but also just like emphasize like that there is hope at the end. And I kind of like what you did, like you like I like I kind of like how your campaigns focus on how like people watching others can help like checking on checking in on a friend, but also how people struggling can also like you're also helping people who are struggling. So I like how you like your campaigns focus on both sides of the mental health issue. And then my next question is you did talk about effectively utilizing tech and digital platforms to advocate for mental health. But I guess my next question would be like, how can we effectively use these platforms to advocate for mental health, even though there are many studies that say tech and digital platforms like social media are worsening teen mental health? Yes, it is the thing everybody's talking about, right? And I think we just saw the latest round of hearings uh, on Capitol Hill. I'm not very optimistic that anything is going to come from that. But, you know, I think. The reality is it's not going away that young people are on these platforms that for some young people, they can be life-saving, right? For some young people, they can be harmful. Um, you know, I think finding ways to put pressure on the big platforms that people are using, that young people are using, you know, in terms of their business models, right? I mean, part of the reason the algorithms rule everything is because they've figured out ways to keep people right either angry or engaged or spending lots and lots of time um and you know those algorithms can also be dangerous right they can lead to too much mindless scrolling or they can lead to going down rabbit holes of disinformation um and radicalization so i think you know we need to keep putting pressure on those platforms but at the same time you know i think we need to be on them we meaning people who care about youth and mental health need to be on them as well and you know dana boyd who's uh, a well-known researcher around youth issues and digital you know she used to talk about going out into the digital streets, almost like you're an outreach worker going into the digital streets. We did it at Reach Out. We used there used to be a social network called My Yearbook, and it was full of uh, very risky <laughs> behaviors that were talked about were happening, as well as friendships and all the good stuff that can happen on social networks too. But you know, we went on that site as Reach Out, and we had you know, our mental health expert, like answering questions like an AMA in real time. And I think, you know, especially what's happening on TikTok, where you have so many young people that are sharing their own experiences and maybe giving advice even about mental health who, you know, may be very well-intentioned, but maybe it's not quite right um maybe you know we want to have more advice coming from experts themselves or if you know organizations with experts want to ally with influencers on TikTok or on these platforms who have followings to make sure that what advice or what information is being given out is actually sound 
information. I think that's that's how I would look at at the platforms. And I was just going to mention, like, for the first point about putting pressure, and you know, um, I I think there's some organizations I just wanted to shout out, like. Uh, the Family Online Safety Institute does a lot of great work in that space. Net Family News and Ann Collier is another person who is constantly speaking and writing and used to advise some of the platforms. And then Common Sense Media, I think, is also doing good work in that space as well in terms of raising issues and pushing, you know, the platforms to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, as you said, not like it's it's hard to say that all social media is bad because for some people it definitely is life-saving and for people who are i guess just like using social media to like watch yoga videos or like do like study videos i think it's hard to say that those have the same impact as someone watching more like more like not like this like more not like disturbing content but like more graphic i guess i don't know if that's the right word but i think yeah, I agree. It is about like putting pressure on others. And I think, as you said, it'll be hard to like regulate or limit social media. And I think it like for mental health advocating, it is important to recognize that. But I think just by making people more aware of the effects and like equipping them with tools can just make people's mental health healthier. My next question, I know you talked about like places where mental health is stigmatized in the answer before, but how can we encourage conversations about mental health in places where it might be more stigmatized? Yeah, so, you know, when I was at the Ad Council during COVID, during really the height of the first wave of COVID and the vaccine was just um, coming out and, you know, we had to get the word out, right? So that people would basically get the information and then hopefully, you know, make a decision that felt right um, for them. But we were hoping it would be a decision to, to get vaccinated. And we wanted to reach people. So the Ad Council did this massive vaccine campaign during that time. And you know, we wanted to reach people in communities where there had been strong distrust of the government <laughs> and vaccines, you know, and for good reasons, actually, you know, I mean, especially in African American communities, there's a history of, you know, abuse from the medical system and experiments with vaccines and you know there were real reasons for that hesitation and you know the way that we did it and i had talked about trusted messengers before but i think it applies here too in communities where stigma may be really high around mental health is you know you have to kind of you have to partner with respected people in those communities and you know what was great and what the ad council brought was so much research around the message right and different ways to to get the message out there but i think by sort of co-creating with people in those communities you know we were able to reduce the hesitation and and the fear so for example um take a 
a faith community, right? Like in the black community, African-American community and Hispanic community, faith is a big part of, of that community. And there are big churches and um, lots of families there. And, you know, so creating, you know, sermon content even for the pastor or whoever is leading um, in that community that they could take our messaging and then put it in their own words, right, in ways that 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 audience would be more open to hearing it is a way to break down, you know, whether it's hesitation in the in the case of vaccines or stigma around mental health, you know, that that is a way to do it. And I also think language is really important too. If words like therapy or mental health feel right to certain communities like what we would i would never do that right but maybe you would talk to your youth pastor or a trusted adult and just share how you're feeling right and if you're struggling you, you could you know there are ways to kind of encourage healthy behaviors that don't use maybe language that um, feels stigmatizing in certain communities. But the best way to do that, again, is to kind of partner with those communities and, you know, understand what's going to work, right? And who the influencers are in those communities. And then, again, translating it so that you have the core message of ways to get help, but it's being delivered in a way that feels you know, more natural for that community. Yeah, I think also another part of destigmatizing mental health can also be just like as little as asking someone like how they're doing or checking up yeah. in on a friend, which I know like some people might be like, oh, like that doesn't do anything. But like, I feel like anything is like anything. I feel like asking someone who really is in need of someone to talk to, like just opening that pathway for them can be super important. And yeah. My next question would be like um, about your role as a reviewer of the startup applications for the Headstream Accelerator, which focuses on products that will support the mental well-being of young people. Are there any kind of broad trends that you are seeing in the latest round of applications? Yeah, so I love Headstream and, you know, I have been reviewing um, applications for them for a couple of years. I've done a couple of cycles. And one of the things that I'm really excited about that they're doing now is they are working very close. I mean, they've always worked closely with youth, but now they have like an official body of young people who are also reviewing uh, these applications and, you know, who are there to, again, help these entrepreneurs kind of co-create you know, or iterate on on their ideas with young people's voices kind of baked in. So that's really exciting. Um, in I would say like the the recent round that I looked at, I think what what I'm seeing is obviously AI. Everybody <laughs> is trying to find a way to use it. I think, you know, the the challenges in this space, again, kind of goes back to the control and moderation issues, right? You don't want to 
have a chat bot that can go rogue <laughs> um, in the mental health space. And that actually happened in early days. You know, I don't know if you saw the story, but the National Eating Disorders Association wanted to try to replace their hotline operators with AI and were using the AI that was out there that probably the chat GPT type models um, or they, I, I'm not sure. So either they were using that or they tried to do their own, but basically the AI kind of went rogue and, you know, started giving dieting tips to somebody on Instagram or something like that. And it, you know, was all in the news. And, you know, so it, you kind of have to, I think, be very slow and deliberate with how AI is going to be used in this space where there's so many sensitivities. But I, you know, I'm seeing people trying to use it to help connect people to resources, to local resources, which is a huge challenge, right? Just like the whole system of care and how do you find care? And, you know, so if AI can, can help with that, I think that's really promising. I also was seeing it kind of show up as, could it, you know, be sort of a companion or help with loneliness or, you know, um, not be doing therapy per se, but like giving, again, like some resources or suggestions. I think we're going to see a lot of that happening in this space. And then the other trend that I was starting to see is kind of metaverse with VR, right? And, um, you know, now that Apple's got their <laughs> headset, who knows? But to me, it still feels a little bit clunky, but it was sort of you're in a environment and there's you know, another avatar and you're having a conversation again around mental health issues. They're trying to sort of help you. And I, you know, I guess in the veterans community, they've been doing a lot of experimentation with this because it's hard. Maybe there's long wait lists to find that support and that care. And so this is being used as a way right, to sort of meet that need. So those were two things that I think are newish that that I'm seeing that I'm, I'm excited. I want to see both of them kind of get better because um, I think they have a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also, yeah, that story about AIs, I feel like I've heard something like that, but that definitely is interesting because I feel like it just kind of goes to show, I feel like some sectors, it's very, it's, I feel like it's hard to replace humans with AI because humans have more empathy than AI. So I don't know, but I think definitely, I feel like if AI can be used right, AI and meta can be used right, it will definitely be a step forward. And yeah, thank you so much, Anastasia, for coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much. Wow. And yeah, thank you so much, everyone also watching this. And I will see everyone next time. Bye.